Structural breach. West exterior wall. Unidentified projectile. Check the door to Falcor's office. Any damage? None, sir. And I'm reading Mr. Falcor still inside. All right, we hold this door until we know what we're dealing with. Anyone know what the press hit us? Me. Uh. It's crap! House on the call. Shoot him! Shoot him! Darkness to Light, hosted by Emily and Alan Middleton. We aim to explore what takes place at the corner of theology and geekology. Episode 6, In the Studio, The Spirit Blade Experience. Welcome to Episode 6 of Darkness to Light. This is our show where we take a look at pop culture in terms of where those stories intersect with concepts in religion, faith, theology, spirituality. And in this episode, we'll be discussing The Spirit Blade Underground, which is a podcast, a production company, but primarily, as far as this episode is concerned, a series of audio dramas. In the next segment of this episode, we'll be talking with the founder, creator, and producer of Spirit Blade. But first, we're going to give a brief overview of our history with the podcast and as fans of the audio dramas. I was thinking about this, Emily, and I think it's possible that your mom was the first person in our family to get an iPod. And then you were next. You were the first two. Yeah, that seems really likely, because she's the early adopter for pretty much everything. I know that I was the last. We're still, we're talking 2007. And if I remember right, you had found a few podcasts during that time. But I think I was the one that did the deep dive into the podcastosphere first. Definitely. Such as it was in early 2008. In the days where you could actually subscribe to every single podcast you wanted and be able to listen to them all in, say, a week. That's not possible anymore. That is true. Wasn't there a Roroni Kenshin fanfic podcast? That was, was that the one the of the first, first? The first two podcasts that I followed were, fan, were audio fanfiction podcasts. Among the first half dozen or dozen or so podcasts that I found, I can only think of two that have continued pretty much non-stop since then, and one of those is Spirit Blade, which was a pretty new show at the time. I think it started in 2007, and he's been going pretty much non-stop since then, putting out 45 or 50 shows a year, all with pretty much the same format, and he's in the low 400s of episode numbers. A Spirit Blade episode is generally in the 45 to 60 minute range now, up from the original 30 minutes that he promised. If you remember, that was part of his original pitch was something about all the entertainment and news and Bible study you need in 30 minutes or less or something like that was part of his pitch. Well, I think after episode 200, pretty much all of the rules are allowed to go out the window. Uh, exactly. So the show is pretty much a review of some sort, usually a movie, 
could be a TV show or a video game. Then we usually get the host, Pater, his thoughts on a current geek topic, maybe listener feedback or a listener contribution, the occasional interview, and almost every episode ends with a 10-minute or so Bible study segment. Sometimes he studies a book of the Bible, sometimes he does a study of a topic of interest to geeks in particular. As for the audio drama, the first part came out in 2006, and we heard it for the first time when he serialized it on the podcast in 2007, early 2008. And then we promptly bought it. It's pretty fantastic. It's really good. So to give a quick spoiler-free synopsis of Spirit Blade, it's a futuristic world where relativism reigns supreme, and philosophies or religions that promote any one truth have been outlawed. Merrick Scythe quests for meaning, finding a path that leads him into battle alongside members of the underground liberation, fighting forces human, alien, and demonic. As the group rediscovers buried mysteries about their faith, they have to survive an onslaught of brutal attacks from both advanced technology and mystical powers. You know, we keep calling these products audio dramas, and we'll actually talk to Pater about this in the next segment, but they're actually musical dramas. And the songs are pretty great, too. There is a very strong sort of cyberpunk, evil corporate power feeling, especially in the first installment of the Mm -hmm. series. And as a result, the songs all have this sort of mid-2000s synthesized industrial sort of feeling from before Electronica had kind of gone mainstream. On our main podcast feed, Relatively Geeky, We did a Christmas song episode last year, and the version of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel that we put on that is by the same person. It's Peter Franzen's version. So, and that had a bit of that dark electronic as well that's sort of a hallmark of the music in the Spirit Blade audios. Then the sequel came out a couple years later in 2008, Spirit Blade Dark Ritual. And we bought it as soon as it came out. And then we made, I made, the fateful parental decision to listen to it on a Thanksgiving drive to Maryland. Now, as the name implies, Dark Ritual is a lot more intense, a lot more violent, and just generally unsettling than the first one. And the first one is not what you would even consider sort of sanitized, Mm -hmm. consumable mainstream pop Christian media. It's rough. And the sequel is even more so. Mm-hmm. And it almost made sense. Because it was not a story that we were going to zone out or that we were going to get comfortable. That it would keep us awake during the long drive in the intense November blizzards in the mountains. In my defense... Driving through those roads in West Virginia was scary enough. And my thinking was that if we kept listening to this intense, attention-grabbing drama, then that would distract you and Mom from actually how scary this mountainous, windswept driving scenario actually was. Yeah, but um, it was intense. And then there was a torture sequence. And then there was murder. And let us just say that nobody was having a pleasant drive in the countryside. Yeah. 
Maybe not my best parental moment. I just remember at some point, someone suggested, probably mom, she has the most common sense in the family, something about, let's let's turn this off so you can concentrate. And then, as soon as we saw that sign that says, lodging, next exit, I said, do you guys want to stop? Yes. Well, no, let me finish Night. the set. Do you want... Get off the road. That was pretty much how it went. So... We have this experience of this dramatic audio drama linked with this dramatic real-life event, so... Oh, I would call the listening experience dramatic, the life experience maybe a little more traumatic. (laughs) In recent years, Pater has reissued a special edition of the first Spirit Blade, and as listeners, we have been waiting... Patiently. For a very long time... Mm -hmm. For the release of the final section of the trilogy. And on July 18th, Spirit Blade, A World of Shadows, was released. With that as an intro, let's play a bit of the audio drama or a song. And we'll be back shortly to talk with Peter Franson. Safely from the world, reclusive in our quarantine. We hold our comfort close and do our best to not be seen. All our efforts seem to be so futile, and the more we try, the more we fail, the more we see the darkness multiply. Still, if you chase them, even when they run, if it's not too And we're back. And now we are joined by the man behind the curtain at Spirit Blade HQ all the way in Arizona. It's Mr. Peter Franson. Hey, guys. How you doing? Thank you so much for having me. Great to have you. As we said, we have been fans of Spirit Blade, the podcast, and the audios for, let's just say, quite some time. Oh, thanks, you guys. You said that, like you said, way over in Arizona, like I'm in a fairy tale land. Where are you guys again? I can't remember. We're in Ohio, but we have a oh, little okay. bit to worry about. I mean, you you and your time zones. Yeah, that I was know. confusing enough, okay? Yeah, I know. <laughs> sometimes they're three hours off, sometimes two hours, sometimes a day and a half. I don't, it's very confusing. We don't, we don't change our clocks. I think that's what everybody should do. <laughs> I mean, honestly. Okay, Ar- yes, Arizona that does make sense, ones. but. But when you were the lone sane one in a sea of madmen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So now that the Spirit Blade trilogy is complete, how about you give our listeners sort of a rundown of the premise of Spirit Blade overall and the finale, A World of Shadows. The Spirit Blade trilogy, it's, it takes place in a, future, in a future world that is, it's not an end time story, uh, but it does play, take place in a science fiction future where truth has basically gone beyond being offensive. It is now illegal uh, to believe in absolute truth. 
And so anybody that is that is seeking out truth, um, regard, especially regarding spiritual matters, like what's the nature of God, what's the nature of humanity, and what's our relationship with a potential existing God, all those kinds of questions are are outlawed. Of course, as you guys know, those those are the big questions that ultimately determine how we view all of life. There is a there's a, a group of of people that are just kind of surviving in the shadows, and they're trying to put the Word of God back into circulation because it's been outlawed for uh, hundreds of years. And so it, it's a story where these guys are going up against, you know, sci-fi shock troopers. They're going up against uh, aliens in a manner of speaking. They're going up against demonic forces and there's cyborgs and supernatural mystical stuff. It's, it's a, just a mashup of lots of different kinds of genres that I love, uh, but also exploring some uh, some faith issues that are really important to me. So we can't categorize this as either sci-fi or fantasy. It's a little uh, bit of everything. It sounds. It's like. yeah. It depends. It depends on which part of the trilogy. Now, the first right. one is is definitely leaning more towards sci-fi, but then you've got lots of supernatural stuff because they're mm-hmm. traveling into the spirit world and going toe to toe with demons, and so that feels a lot like the fantasy genre. And then in Spirit Blade Dark Ritual, the second one, they they travel to another part of the world that is much more primitive and is uh, kind of governed by people who have supernatural abilities. So that setting and just what is going on in that story definitely leans more toward fantasy. And then in Spirit Blade, A World of Shadows, a lot of the people that were part of the Dark Ritual story are now a part of the uh, A World of Shadows story. And so that's probably the one that's most evenly a mix between sci-fi and and, uh, fantasy. Nothing wrong with bending the genres a little bit. Oh, I think it's a blast. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the old Final Fantasy games, and that's where I first got, mm-hmm. took inspiration. I was like, oh, man, these guys are mixing, you know, and this was a big thing back in the 80s, early 90s. Like, oh, they're mashing up sci-fi and fantasy? Who does that? This is awesome, you know? Uh, what is it about the story of Spirit Blade, these characters, these themes, that you decided to dedicate so much time and effort to telling this story the way that you did? Well, I mean, there's a lot of different themes that that I like to explore, and um, I think the foundational theme, though, is is truth. The, the way we view the world and the way we view truth has an impact on every other opinion we have, every other piece of our worldview. And I, so, I really wanted to explore the idea of truth and seeking out truth. Uh, that's just a big part of of kind of like what my online ministry is in in general but uh, but I wanted to explore that and then you know the, the the first part of the trilogy has kind of this adventurous a more upbeat feel despite having you know uh, a lot more gore and you know nasty stuff going on in your ears than you'd hear on a Saturday morning cartoon it still has a pretty uh, positive adventurous kind of feel and I that feels like to me it reflects um, what it's like, I think, for a lot of people when they first become believers, there's this renewed sense of purpose and there's a sense of adventure to their lives. And, and Dark Ritual, the tone really shifts dramatically to, uh, to the appropriately the dark side of things and really confronts the reality that, you know what, when we become followers of Jesus, that does not mean that our lives become a bed of roses and uh, we are going to face pain and we're going to face suffering and, and sometimes more pain and suffering than we experienced before we became believers in Christ. And then the uh, the third part of the trilogy is uh, one of the major themes there is uh, dealing with the aftermath of, okay, now we've We've come out of this suffering, but, you know, how do I view life? How do I view the world? And how do I view 
evil and the reality of evil and suffering in light of this God that I'm following? How, how are these two things compatible and how can I have hope for, uh, for just getting out of bed in the morning? And I think those themes are, are, are things that we all think about and we all kind of struggle and wrestle with. And, uh, and the cool thing about, you know, the genres of sci-fi and fantasy is you can play with those themes on a really grand, dramatic, epic scale that because of how far removed it is from our own reality, I think people are oddly enough a little bit more accepting to thinking about and processing just because of its, you know, fantastical, somewhat removed nature. Yeah, I do think the the world, the church, needs to hear a lot more of the life is going to be hard no matter what message. And that is counter to what a lot of unfortunately popular teachers and ministers in the church seem to be preaching yeah. these days. It's yeah. an unpopular and uncomfortable discussion to have. Mm-hmm. And uh, this follows along excellent, excellently for a, a bit of a, a running theme we've had on a couple episodes mm-hmm. here, which is I don't like Joel Olstein. Mm. So we're just going to crap on Joel Olstein like every episode for 30 seconds. Like, I, I like this track record that we've set up. For each section of Spirit Blade, it's had a pretty long pre- and post-production period. So for you, were you able to resist the temptation to go back and rework and re-edit and rewrite the sections? Or is the final product that we have pretty close to what you originally intended? I honestly wasn't... It didn't have like a trilogy format specifically in my mind until just before releasing the original Spirit Blade audio drama. I was thinking this was going to be a series format because I like comic books, and so I like that kind of uh, ongoing, evolving story with a changing status quo. Uh, but I didn't lock into a trilogy until after, uh, just before publishing the, the original Spirit Blade. But, I mean, I have along the way gone back and created new editions of uh, the earlier audio dramas, mainly because I learned a lot about... Uh, production and just how to improve the quality of my production. And uh, so I'm actually in the process of destroying every back catalog archived copy of the 2006 release of Spirit Blade that oh, I have. That's <laughs> Emily's okay. favorite. It's okay. My, no, no. my section is safely scrolled away on my iPod. You can't take it. You are not coming to get our CDs, buddy. <laughs> oh my gosh. Are you, are you telling me that you prefer the 2006 release to the 2010 special edition of Spirit Blade? Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> we were having this discussion earlier in the evening, I, and I'm, she agrees that the production values are a lot better, obviously. <laughs> but there were some, some other things she liked more about the original, Mr. George Lucas. I know, I know. You, went, know, you yeah. went back and you moved my songs around, and I was like, Oh, what? I know, yeah. I, there was just some some pacing stuff in general that I, I noticed. You know, you bring up the songs and the... the for for those of you that are listening that don't know that the Spirit Blade trilogy was originally conceived as a pseudo musical type of thing. It, it used songs sung by characters to tell parts of the story, but with an electronic industrial style of music rather than the sounds that would be more typical of, say, Broadway musicals. And a number of listeners expressed over the years to me their, their love and appreciation for the songs. But even so, it seemed like a good idea to to me to at this time as I release. Spirit Related World of Shadows provide alternate versions of each part of the trilogy without the songs included. And those are being branded as legacy edition versions. This was just really in an effort, I think, to appeal to a wider audience and to allow the trilogy 
now as it enters into our kind of archived catalog and I move on to other things, uh, allow it to better stand the test of time and, and the test of uh, particular or changing musical tastes of listeners. So, uh, But you, yeah, you got some editing software. You're a podcaster. You are more than welcome to cut together your ultimate cut of spirit playing. I haven't already done that. Um. <laughs> That's what I originally got Audacity for. Nice. <laughs> Uh, you mentioned some of the technology that's changed since you started this project about a decade ago, and yeah. I can imagine that that's been a, been some pretty dramatic changes there. What have been some of the either tools that you found really helpful, or just what aspects of the technology have really helped you as an independent producer? Although the technology has uh, has definitely moved forward, I think it's uh, it's just been a, largely a matter of me learning how to use the existing technology. I I'm using mixing software that is far more sophisticated than anything I need it to do for me. And wrapping my head around that software and, and you know how to achieve what I want to achieve, you know, I don't have any kind of a sound engineering background. I was a vocal performance major in college. So all the technical aspects of everything I do has just been uh, me beating my face against the wall, you know, and trying to uh, figure stuff out and and just keep beating my my head until it sounds the way I want it to sound. So it's a very kind of rough process for me and over the years, I've learned a few things. I still don't, you know, wouldn't talk the lingo the same way a sound engineer would, but uh, but I've picked up, uh, I, I think, a, a good amount that's been useful to me. One cool little uh, open source thing that someone recommended to me a few years ago is called the Levelator. I don't know if you guys have heard of this, but this thing is awesome. And I used to think that, like, oh, if it's open source, you get what you pay for, you know. Uh, not in this case. This thing is amazing. Um, it basically you drop an audio file into it of, of dialogue, and it levels out everything not in the same way that, say, like a compressor would. It's a little bit more uh, gentle than that. And it even adjusts the, the EQ in a very subtle way, and it just allows all of the sound to be a lot more even instead of like having really loud moments and really soft moments between, you know, laughing and whispering and stuff like that. It kind of brings them all closer to the same level. And that dramatically sped up my, my production schedule when I, when I started using that. You've been doing this project also before the era of Patreon or Kickstarter. When you sort of do the next thing, would you consider sort of that sort of funding or financing mechanism as opposed to what you're doing now, you know, putting all the time and effort in beforehand and then selling the product after. Have you considered that, thought about that? Sometimes shortly before Kickstarter, and well, particularly Patreon, I should say, before Patreon really kind of became as well known as it is now, it was recommended to me to just allow people to donate. And I, I hate asking people for money. I hate promoting my stuff like doing something like this this is actually really difficult for me uh to do something like this and so it's very hard i don't want to impose on anybody but somebody recommended that i start you know making the option to donate available and so actually a few years ago i started what's called the spirit blade insider program and if you go to spiritblade.com and click on our about page you can get more information about that if you scroll down We'll, we'll accept donations of uh, any amount, any time. Uh, but for those that decide they want to partner with us for $5 a month, 
then you get this monthly exclusive collection of audio journals that I'm recording throughout the month. I've been doing this for, I don't know, two, three years now. And you'll get this kind of collection of my audio journal entries where I'm just sharing throughout the month the ups and the downs, the celebrations and the frustrations of uh, trying to tackle this uh, endeavor essentially by myself. Um, as for whether or not I would use Kickstarter or Patreon, now would probably be about, be about the time where I would maybe look into the pros and cons of something like that. I've just been so focused on getting this stinking audio drama done. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. There's, there's no time to think about the after. There is only now. Yes. <laughs> uh, and especially as we're sort of moving almost into a post-CD era, that I, I get the feeling a lot of people are probably just going to want MP3 downloads of yeah. World of Shadows. MP3s is, is by far uh, the represents the large the larger number of sales that I get uh, from from our website, and I really uh, kind of fought internally about the idea of doing a CD set for a World of Shadows. But at, at the end of the day, I was like, I'm a geek. I know what it is to want to collect things. And there have been people that have been supporting me and buying these CD sets, and they're going to want to complete that collection. And so I did do uh, – it's not a large print run. Um, after I give uh, the copies away to cast members and stuff, there's only going to be about uh, 100 or so copies of Spirit Blade or World of Shadows in CD physical format, but I did want to make those available. But going forward from here, um, absolutely, I can't imagine that I would do another print run after this. It's just so stinking expensive. Yeah, yeah. and you say that, and I hear limited edition. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and, Perfect. And also, we would absolutely support you if it just financially didn't make sense. But we would be very sad if there was a little gap on our CD shelf <laughs> one and two. <laughs> And yeah, there's just yeah. a little a little index card that said "See iTunes Library." <laughs> oh, that sounds right. so sad. <laughs> I mean, don't you hate it when you get to the fifth collection of either the trade paperback or the novel series, and they change the trade dress on you oh. partway through? <laughs> this is that, or this would be that on a whole different level. So it is. It has been. A relatively long time, and at least for one character, you have had to recast uh, because you have a a preteen character who was played yeah. by a thirteen year old boy, and by the time you were recording part two, he was sixteen, and voice had changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, puberty does that. <laughs> uh, as that aside, were you able to get the rest of the original cast back together for a World of Shadows? Yeah, I haven't recast anybody, and that was an amazing thing. Um, of course, I live with the woman who plays uh, Ebony Ravenloft and Aya, so that's convenient. And then I also was able to get two that immediately come to mind, maybe more than that, I'm not sure, but two voices from the original Spirit Blade to come back. Uh, Claudius Falcor is played by Jesse Tessier, Claudius Falcor and the Nephilim. And he reprises his role as both characters in Spirit Blade, A World of Shadows. Excellent. Uh, in a major uh, subplot that, that drives a lot of the story. And that was so cool because we'd been out of touch for a while and I wasn't sure. He lived across a totally different side of town. I was like, oh, I, I don't know if he's going to want to do this. He, he, you know, I can't pay him anything, you know. But he was totally game and, uh, and overjoyed to have the chance to do that. And then also the, the one voice I thought I really might have to recast is uh, Des Carowin. But uh, the voice of Des Carowin, played by Joy Curry, is coming back to uh, give us news updates on Newsnet uh, four. Newsnet 4.3, it was going to be 5.0 and recast, but then I was like, oh, cool, she's, she's around and she she's, you know, is willing to do this. And so that was really cool to be able to have uh, Joy come back for that. 
I think all the characters that you'd probably be expecting to come back that survived the last two um, are, uh, are coming back. One of the things I love about the setting for Spirit Blade is that not only do you mash together sci-fi, cyberpunk, totalitarian government, but also quest-based fantasy tropes and <laughs> travel and like all that stuff. That's all great. But you also don't shy away from some of the weird and esoteric stuff that seems to make mainstream Christians a little uncomfortable. Mm. Uh, spiritual gifts function much like your standard magic system. And you did your own take on Nephilim, which yeah. I would like to know a little bit more about. Were you just reading that one random verse of Genesis and went, <laughs> ah, I have a great idea? Or... How did you come up with that version of Nephilim? I'm always fascinated. Yeah, I've always been interested in the in the Nephilim and uh and yeah, so I was just looking at, you know, the book of beginnings subsection 6 or Genesis chapter 6 as we know it. And uh and that that whole account I was just like, what in the world is this about, you know? And so I I dug into it a little bit more and there was, you know, different kinds of ideas on, you know, uh, who the, uh, the the sons of God referred to and stuff. And so I just ended up going with the view that seemed to be most persuasive to me, that they were fallen angels of some kind. And uh, I just wanted to explore the idea of kind of like a science fiction-y take on that, where instead of them actually procreating with uh, with human uh, women or men or whatever they would try to do, I, like what if what if there was some kind of like genetic manipulation going on? What if there was you know let's uh, let's do some kind of weird artificial uh, procreation? And uh, that seemed like cool and sci-fi, and so <laughs> it wasn't uh, much more complicated or thought out than that, I guess. Awesome! I just <laughs> think they are really really cool, and we we might have a, a segment upcoming where we talk about all the various different kinds of nephilim in Christian fiction, the vast amount in secular fiction. That that one weird paragraph that lots of people hone in on, and just what was going on here? What are these words attempting to convey? I mean, what? Yeah, these are describing what exactly? It's just one of those great mysteries. I wanted to ask you just one of the things that you've talked about on your podcast, really from the beginning, is sort of the idea that there's a lack of respect or a lack of welcome or lack of a home sometimes for gamers and nerds and fantasy fans in the evangelical wing of the church. I'm just curious if you've maybe seen that change. Do you see signs of hope? I can only speak for really my own uh, experience at my own church. I, I can't say I have like my finger on the pulse of uh, geeks, you know, all over the place. I hear things now and then from other geeks that uh, I hang out with at ChristianGeekCentral.com on the forums. But uh, I, I would say that in my experience, I think that there is hope. I'm not sure if it's always for the right reasons, though. What I would love is for the church to be more accepting of geeks because they are correctly discerning scripture and realizing, oh, these kinds of weird, imaginative, crazy uh, forms of, of fiction and entertainment – they are not of necessity evil or corruptive or, or or any of those kinds of things that they you know that they'd be more willing to discern their way through on a case by case basis the different uh, entertainment forms that they come across. Well, the other thing is you know being a geek 
is, and I say quote unquote, is becoming more and more popular. Uh, it's almost mainstream to the point where I actually now and then on my podcast will say, guys, we got to reclaim this word geek. Because if you look at you look at the etymology, it comes from, you know, sideshow performers who would bite the heads off of animals. You know, people who just like were doing weird stuff way outside of the mainstream so that when people looked at them, they're like, whoa, that is a geek. You know, uh, what a stay away from him, you know. And so it was originally an, uh, an, an insult. And I'm not saying we want to insult each other with this term, but I I think that the heart of the term is that it means that it's not mainstream. It is uh, outside of uh, of what is what is popular. So I think lots of things that were geeky are now popular. You know, sci-fi movies, superhero movies, certainly stuff like that. And so they're more accepted. But I think loving those things does not make one a geek. I think getting unusually excited about them or being unusually interested in them. Something unusual has to be going on, I think, to to correctly apply the word geek. So I do think the church is, in in many cases, becoming more accepting. And I'll just leave it at that, I guess. (laughs) I had not thought about it that deeply. I just sort of wonder if some of it is evangelical American church is always 20 years behind culture on a lot of things. Hmm. So as, you know, with terms of music, musical mm-hmm. tastes and accepting yeah. of certain things. So maybe uh, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's been mainstream long enough. That, the panic uh, has died yeah, down. Yeah, the panic has died down. Or maybe there's just been a legitimate generational shift in, in church leadership. Like you said, there there are many reasons. Hopefully it's mostly the positive ones. Yeah. Now you were able to actually mount a live performance of spirit blade at your church yeah <laughs> uh, a how and b logistically how how, how did that happen <laughs> I, I, you've told the story years ago on the spirit blade podcast but tell us again how you were able to pull that off i for one am still fascinated by the concept if you saw the video, you'd say, oh, that's how. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, there, there were a far fewer sound effects cues in the live version. Mm-hmm. Um, still all the main ones that you would expect, you know, uh, like, you know, combat, like punches and, and things like that. But uh, there was just a lot of stuff that uh, maybe you would take for granted in listening to the audio dramas that, uh, that just couldn't be included because, you know, technically we didn't have you know, the ability to kind of cue those up quick enough. And, I, you know, I'd seen many years ago now um, as a special on the Sci-Fi Channel where there was some audio drama being performed on a, on a soundstage and they were recording it, maybe even before an audience too. And I think Leonard Nimoy was involved in that. And I just thought, well, this is so interesting to both enjoy the story and watch a behind-the-scenes feature of it at the same time. And so I, I really got interested in this idea of doing a live audio drama at uh, at our church and uh and I also realized that going with audio drama I could afford to do some things in the story that uh, would visually not be acceptable to Christians you know such as gore and uh, you know these these are stories that have you know people and demons and stuff getting their guts ripped open and you know just some nasty stuff going on you know yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of blood a lot more blood and cannibalism than you would uh, yeah. maybe expect. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was no cannibalism in the first one. I don't think we could have ever done Dark Ritual at uh, No, <laughs> no. 
But I basically, with the with the original Spirit Blade, I went to the elders. I I explained what it was. I wrote up a, a short paper that I actually still have um, in my archive documents of like what the heck it's called. What the heck is Spirit Blade? Um, and explained it to them. And the lead pastor of the church, I asked him to go through the script and you know keep me from saying anything heretical, you know. And, uh, and so it kind of went through that whole process, and it was approved, and they were uh, excited about it. And I mean, even after that, it was probably about six months after that, that uh, the worship pastor I was serving under at that time stepped down, and I uh, ended up moving into that position and was the worship pastor there for two years. And And the, the lead pastor there even encouraged me. He said, listen, um, I, I don't want you to feel like these have to be two separate things. We we could use more spirit blades. Um, and so if you want to continue that uh, and make that a part of your work here, then then you can do that. And uh, And I did consider that for about a half a second. <laughs> yeah. And then That's I realized one of those where, nice offers, but Yeah, then I then I realized where I wanted to go with this right. and I was like, you know, I don't want either A an elder board to tell me I can't do something, which I think honestly our elder board would have been fine with all the content of Dark Ritual. They might have said, "Okay, we got to market this well so the wrong people don't come." <laughs> you know. But more importantly, I didn't want them to be uh, have to deal with a bunch of difficult meetings with people that might complain to them about the content, you know, of this. And then also, just I knew that there was a lot more that I wanted to do technically that I could do in the recorded format rather than live. You could get the the best performance possible out of an actor, you know, when you have six to 12 takes to choose from, um, and you can pace it just right, and you can layer in all the sound effects. You don't have to worry that, that a sound man's not going to cue them at the right time or whatever, or that the guy, or we had Foley guys actually on stage, fo- array of Foley people that were behind the actors. And so some of the sound effects for the live show were actually performed live. Uh, there was just so many things that that were going to work better in the recorded format, but you know it is kind of a you know a fun little thing for me to be able, be able to say. It makes it sound like it's a lot a much bigger deal than it is to talk about ooh, the live show. You know, <laughs> uh, you've mentioned already some of the inspirations behind Spirit Blade and the the trilogy. What were some of the other things that you drew on, or that you think may have influenced you, or that you modeled this on? Comic books heavily influenced the first one, and even some anime. I'm not really an anime fan, uh, but at the time that I was writing the original Spirit Blade, there was one or two. I was watching Gundam Wing um, oh, wow. during during college, and uh, and I enjoyed that at the time. And so I was in a little bit of a season where I was finding some anime that I that I did enjoy. And so part of the reason the first one has a little bit of a lighter tone, this weird mashup of like mm-hmm. you know positive adventure tone, but then mixed in with like people turning into bloody gory monsters and you know only in anime folks anime and spirit blade are you gonna you gonna find (laughs) weird mashup in tone so certainly comic books at the time anime and then um uh well the matrix trilogy it was a was a big influence of mine um and just i would say superhero movies in general just uh i really like big scale and creatively done science fiction and fantasy movies. Like, I'm a big fan of the style of the Wachowskis. I don't like all of their movies, um, but uh, I, I like a lot of their visual style. And these days, I'm a huge fan of the style of Zack Snyder. Uh, just that kind of really dramatic kind of feel to all of his action sequences and stuff. So so I, I actually try to produce my audio dramas in a way that take cues 
from film. And so, like, for example, in the original uh, Spirit Blade, actually, this is only in the special edition. One of the things I was really excited to add because I wanted to convey this in the original cut and I didn't feel like I did a good enough job. There's a moment where one character comes out, you know, uh, to take on like a whole hallway of shock troopers and they just start firing at him, guns blazing. And then all of a sudden you hear this, and then like all the gunfire gets muffled and it slows down. And so I think the audience understands because they've seen enough movies, they understand what's happening. They understand that I'm slowing down the perspective and, uh, and kind of going into this, you know, hyperspeed slowed down mode, you know, or sometimes I'll switch cameras perspectives, you know, like I've in another audio drama uh, for the, the Pilgrim's progress series i'm working on someone was drowning in water and then suddenly it quickly cuts to the sound of a horse galloping and then it cuts back to the sound of a person drowning and then back to horse galloping and you know you see those kinds of cuts like oh we're going to another scene we're seeing something else happening here and that's going to be relevant here because we're cutting back and forth between these two scenes you know and audio drama typically does not do that but i try to really bring some of those kinds of cinematic editing and stylistic choices into audio drama so that the audience will kind of be able to better pull from their experience with film uh, to feed their imagination as they're listening to, to what I'm giving them. Yeah. Excellent. Emily and I have both been reacquainting ourselves with the first two in preparation to talk to you and of the release of the third one. And I certainly noticed the Matrix elements. Yeah. Those ones, uh, that one stood out to me. And, and Emily was doing some listening of Dark Ritual. Uh, yes, and I was also watching Farscape. And since you <laughs> mentioned Tone, I was like, it, I was watching Farscape, and I got to like episode 20. And I was like, there's something that this reminds me of. Not plot-wise, not yeah. character. There, there's something about this tone that yeah. reminds me of something. And I got to episode 21 with Scorpius in the torture chair. And I'm like, I know what this is. This is Dark Ritual. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, Farscape was definitely a big influence. I'm a huge, huge fan of Farscape. I just did a whole, like... It took a couple years at least to get through on the Spirit Blade Underground podcast of me going episode by episode as a bonus feature after the ending credits and talking through my thoughts on that entire series. That is, uh, I think, my favorite television series of all time. And absolutely, you know, Merrick is modeled after, in some ways, John Crichton, but also after Jack. Um, oh, man, his name is leaving me now. But Big Trouble in Little China, the, the mm-hmm. Kurt Russell character. Um, you know, these, these kinds of guys who, you know, try to act cocky every now and then, or like they have things under control, but they're actually totally a fish out of water and they're Mm. completely inept, you know, I really enjoy those kinds of heroes. And so Merrick is, uh, absolutely modeled after that. The torture sequence from Dark Ritual, though, actually was much more inspired by a book called uh, Wizard's First Rule by mm-hmm. Terry Goodkind, which is the first book in the Sword of Truth series. And there is a there's a, a whole chapter dedicated to one character's torture where he's just completely broken as a, and, and robbed of all dignity. And I also thought of the Christians who over the years have suffered horribly, you know, and uh, and I just wanted to in in some way I, I have not suffered. I do not pretend to have suffered, but I but I know that believers over the years have suffered horribly. And so I I wanted to speak to that a little bit and then provide opportunity to to comment on what the gospel has to say in the wake of that kind of suffering and that kind of anger toward uh, one who's who has hurt you so much. It's probably too soon for you to be able to look back at these three audio dramas sort of as an accomplishment, other than maybe just relief that this one's finally out. 
Yeah. <laughs> but just from an outsider, it's an impressive achievement. Oh, thank you. Yeah, relief is yeah, that's the word. That's the word I would that's the word I would use. You know, it's in in some ways it's amazing to me as I think, wow, this thing actually got finished. This thing actually got done, you know, especially with all the unintended delays of uh Spirit Blade, A World of Shadows, just because of the the care that was needed to finish it the way I, I felt it needed to be finished, and uh, and also just the the broadening scope of kind of what I'm doing for with Spirit Blade Productions and and Christian Geek Central, but uh, uh, but hopefully people will uh, uh, that, that have followed the series up to this point will find this to be a, a satisfying conclusion, and uh, and you know I'm I'm doing what I can uh, to to invite uh, people who've never heard of this trilogy uh, to come and check it out. You know I mentioned. Once the the kind of the broadening of the uh, audience through the legacy edition versions, but uh, actually on July 18th, when Spirit Blade: World of Shadows releases, along with that, will all of the legacy edition versions will release at the same time, and for a limited time, beginning July 18th, people will be able to go to SpiritBlade.com and download Spirit Blade legacy edition for free and uh, get themselves into checking out this series and seeing if it's if it's something they might enjoy. Do you would you have any advice for independent producers, independent creators? What are some of the lessons learned? What's some of the wisdom now oh. that you've been do, been at this for ten years and are not the young boy you once were when you started? Yeah, what would you tell yourself other than don't do this? Oh jeez, yeah, and that that would be the thing is what would I tell myself because I really don't feel equipped at all to give advice to anybody else that's pursuing anything remotely like what I'm doing. I would tell myself to wait and get the 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 first thing that you put together, the first thing that you create, whether that's a book or a short film or whatever, wait longer than you think you should and and have more people listen to it and find oh I hate even saying this but find some jerks to listen to it <laughs> that will that will tell you what they really think you know there's been so many people that have been so supportive um but I think that it's uh, it it's taken me longer to learn things and I hate even saying that out loud because I am a sensitive artiste <laughs> and uh and so it's really hard even to to not take light criticism personally, um, but uh, but I think that uh, I think that figuring out how to how to run your stuff through more eyes and ears or whatever, uh, however it's ingested, the more people you can run it past, the better. You mentioned Pilgrim's Progress, and I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. You probably he's, need a, you you probably need a vacation. He's just finished the one baby. <laughs> Let's maybe not think about the next one. Is that? the project you're going to revisit next or do you have any idea or long vacation first um not a long vacation i don't think i could do that um but i do have three days marked off in on my calendar in august the first three days that my boys are back in school actually where i am going to do nothing (laughs) Um, i was waiting for the end of that sentence i thought it was gonna be where i'm gonna do nothing but no, oh, okay. Probably play some video games, but uh, <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I, I definitely can't talk timetable at this point, but yes, um, the Pilgrim's Progress series is my second promise that I want to make good on. The first being the Spirit Blade trilogy, and that's a huge weight to have that promise now uh, fulfilled. I have a strategy for approaching production on that differently, so that 
again, I'm not going to say when I plan to start working on that, but what I will say is my, my hope, and based on the timetable that the, the entire production cycle took for the original Pilgrim's Progress, my plan is to continue adapting the rest of that project is I'm just going to be adapting Christian's story, not the story of his wife that followed. But I'm going to finish adapting his story um, uh, and my story about Christopher Pilgrim, as I've renamed him. And uh, I'm going to do that adaptation all at once, cast it all at once, record it all at once. And I'm hoping that whole process will take about one year. And then I'm going to just start editing and releasing in one hour episodes at a time so that the release schedule after that will be probably four to six months between uh, each episode's release. That sounds like that makes sense. That's one of those things I've learned is like, uh, you know, don't commit to a trilogy, moron. <laughs> yeah, or get all your audio first. Yeah, yeah. And the Pilgrim's Progress series, that was an experiment because I was trying to figure out what is what does the market want? You know, do they would they be more interested in this Pilgrim's Progress series than in this original work? Because Pilgrim's Progress is an established uh, uh, IP, you know. Uh, but what I found is that, no, they like that and they want that about the same, <laughs> but not overwhelmingly more so that you should abandon this trilogy right. that you were maybe doing. So you got to do both now. Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> and I didn't want to say this earlier because it sounds like an incredibly backhanded compliment, but I genuinely did not think that the third volume was going to happen just because... I, as a content producer, knew how incredibly taxing and time-consuming these sorts of things are, and I genuinely would not have begrudged you. Um. If you if you were like, nope, I just, I can't do this, I gotta cut my ties, I'm not getting paid enough for this, by which I mean anything. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would have got that, so caps off <laughs> oh well that's that's sweet of you i it would have driven me nuts to not finish that with the way dark ritual ends come on well <laughs> yes i i really like constantine like i'm used to suffering cliffhangers that's right uh, farscape season one ending for example and uh, how, about, how about the season four ending hello that's yeah. just, not, no spoilers spoilers we haven't got that far yet i just started it like two weeks ago Okay. Make sure you have that mini series ready to fire up in your player as soon as you finish season four, because you will just be driven nuts if you can't do that. (laughs) All right, Peter. So where can folks go to find all of this work that you do? The audio dramas, the podcasts, all of it. Uh, you're going to find all of that at spiritblade.com, especially beginning July 18th. That's when Spiritblade World of Shadows releases. You can check out trailers for both versions, uh, both legacy and special editions of each part of that trilogy. You can check out the trailer for Pilgrim's Progress. All that stuff is there and, and even more. And also, of course, you can get Spiritblade Legacy Edition for free for a limited time beginning July 18th. And uh, yeah, all that's at spiritblade.com. Thank you very much for joining us, Peter, and congratulations on finishing, I won't even say your magnum, but your opus. Oh my gosh, thank you so much, you guys. I really appreciate you uh, having me on and and uh, helping me get the word out. That means a lot. And the two of us will be back right after this. Longer, it would 
Awesome listeners who regularly send us awesome feedback. So it's time to go through the entire big old bag of your emails, faxes, and notes. First, a new iTunes review complete with five stars. We heard from Tom and Melanie Lenice, the hosts of the Parliament of Rooks podcast, which is a show that looks at the magical characters in DC Comics. So there's the occasional overlap between what we cover and what they cover. Their feedback is titled, Where the Reverent Meets the Irreverent. We need that on a bumper sticker. <laughs> and says, take one part pop culture examination, one part well-informed theological musing, mix well, and you have the recipe for a podcast that will loop you in right from the start. They strike the perfect balance between the darkness and the light in this highly recommended show. I wanted to mention that the Parliament of Rooks is on a brief summer hiatus, just taking a couple months off, so that gives listeners a good opportunity to get caught up on the 25 or 30 or so episodes that they have out there. Theirs is a recommended show. Another piece of mail that fell through the cracks was from our friend Hulk Carr, who commented that he loved one of our blog posts, which was one where Alan linked to a YouTube video from our favorite Dutch parish priest, Father Roderick, demonstrating various church teachings with Lego. Check those videos out. He is the Internet's priest. <laughs> if you saw the Star Wars trailer reaction videos that went viral a while back of the priest getting excited about the first Star Wars trailer, that was him. Yes. That was Father Roderick. Next, from Isaac Miner, from the state north of us, Professor Allen and Emily, I absolutely love listening to your shows. They help me to pass the day at work. I started off listening to podcasts with the estimable Michael Bailey's Batman show, which, which I seem to have killed, murdered it, and <laughs> soon I was sucked into the geeky vortex of shows on the Two True Freaks Network. I started listening to Professor's Quarterbin podcast and have been a loyal listener ever since. I especially love your new endeavor, Dorkness to Light, as I am a ministerial student home for the summer. Nice. I've gushed long enough, and we'll wrap up by saying I love the shows, keep up the good work, and keep the pages turning. Isaac in Michigan. Thank you, Isaac. As long as you're listening while you're pursuing those studies, and not instead of. Yes, we are not a replacement for actual theological training. <laughs> we don't want to have to answer for that. This isn't Shortbox Showcase. 
but we still are just family, not, not experts. experts. <laughs> Our buddy Bradley Null wrote in on the Ms. Marvel episode, or as he called her, the Divine Miss M. Great listen. I know little about the Muslim religion, and this new Ms. Marvel came after I stopped reading Marvel regularly. I've meant to read this series, but haven't yet, so I can't comment much. That said, you move the series from should read so I can talk about it to I want to read this now. That counts as a mission accomplished. Absolutely. <laughs> Gene Hendricks also wrote in about that episode, Alan and Emily. The Ms. Marvel series sounds interesting, mainly because it seems to be a throwback to comics that I like, that actually deal with the private lives of the main characters in more than a superficial way. I'll check it out on Marvel Unlimited, even if it's just the first two issues, all they have available so far. Well, they usually run away about six months behind. Something like, I like how they're treating her as not being fundamentalist, but at least devout enough to obey the rules of Islam. It makes her more relatable for both Muslims and non-Muslims alike, which is quite refreshing. Now, if only Marvel would realize that Thor is in fact a god and does actually have worshippers in the modern day, I'd be happy. Of course, they'd first have to realize that Thor is a name and not a title, but baby steps. Gene. First off, I give Gene credit for getting off his soapbox so quickly. That was actually impressive. Well done. <laughs> Concise and to the point. And as we seem to have every episode, we have a listener talking about their particular spiritual history. Now, in the past, we've called this segment Confession Time. Which I was pretty proud of. That seemed to fit. It was pretty good. And then this feedbacker, one Bradley Null decided to tell us his, as he termed it, sacred origin. Okay, our name was a solid B+. That is... That's 100% A double plus. (laughs) So, Bradley writes, Dear Darkness Illuminators... Also, bonus points for that. This boy's got a way with words. I've been going through a re-examination of faith for about three years. I would like to thank you for helping me through it. However, to explain why y'all have been so helpful, you're going to need some backstory. Settle in, kids. (laughs) This is the rest of the episode. (laughs) I was raised by an agnostic father and a non-attending Episcopalian mother. My best pal growing up, Z and he and my father's Baptist extended family provided my Christian upbringing. There's nothing like being told at a young age that your parents have been tricked by evil, based solely on their politics. In the 70s, I was a Star Wars fan who read above his reading level, so I devoured Lord of the Rings next. And every white male LOTR fan of my age then discovered Dungeons & Dragons. Not just me. All of us... This changed my life, as it got me kicked out of my first church. Well, there you go. That's an accomplishment. The Sunday school teacher said, this game is evil, and I said, no, we fight evil. We are good guys. And at this point, we should probably mention that the creator of Dungeons & Dragons... Gary Gygax? Was a Christian believer. Uh, Yeah. And then that sent me into a YouTube search frenzy, and I was able to find Gary Gygax appearing at a panel where he talked a little bit about his faith and that the reason he didn't bring it up was sort of there was enough controversy already 
he didn't want to add another layer to it. If I find that video again, I'll try to post it onto the blog at some point. Bradley's email continues. I was told I was wrong and should apologize. I refused. I then discovered the joy and acceptance of conservative evangelical churches. I spent the rest of high school trying to be a good Christian, having debates with Z over what exactly that meant. At age 19, I found Wicca. I loved so much about witchcraft, what I called it at first, although I find the term loaded now. Mm-hmm. The pro-environment slash sexes and evil parts were things I already believed in, and still do. I also became a religious BBS troll. <laughs> At this point in my existence, I blamed the children of Abraham, Jew, Muslim, and Christian for all things wrong in the universe. The coven I joined actually helped me get over some of my anger, helping me to understand that scapegoating a large number of people over their beliefs is wrong no matter which direction it goes. Eventually, I became a Wiccan who used comic book imagery in his rituals. I often referred to this as pop culture shamanism. Very cool. Then, I fell in love. That is a long story, but it ends with me helping my girlfriend become less of a girl and more of a friend. This brought to light a few problems I had with Wicca, which happened just as I was discovering comic book podcasts. It also triggered a comic book-based return to interest in Christianity. I like that Superman does the right thing because it's the right thing to do. As he is Christian in his upbringing, it seemed that could be a place to start looking. You know, there's some controversy, and it will be coming up on an upcoming episode of Darkness to Light about Superman as a Christ analog versus Superman as a Moses analog. But I think nobody denies that Mon Pa Kent are good Christian examples. 100%. (laughs) That one there's no controversy on. Bradley continues, It's when I was thinking again about Christian belief for superhero-centric reasons that darkness to light entered my life. Okay, to be fair, first... There's this Dr. Doom-loving guy doing quarterbin stuff when I started listening to podcasts, which is on a network with a great pun for a name. Then his daughter on said network does a piece on seduction of the innocent, which was brilliant. Hard to argue that last point, by the way. Every couple months, just another feather for the cap. Then together, these two start a second feed. And that is where darkness to light enters my life. The timing was perfect. The episodes often triggered deeper thoughts than one might expect. There came a discussion that Gnosticism isn't Christian, or of religious headcanon and Jesus fandom, all concepts the Middletons put in my head. I must admit I still wasn't feeling confident in taking on a Christian identity, but this show had helped put my spiritual struggle into a superhero-flavored metaphor for easier digestion. Thank you for that. He concludes, All of this led to an interesting pop shaman moment. As I went to Batman v Superman, I looked at my life and thought, If I leave liking Bruce more, my path will be agnostic. And if I leave liking Clark more, I'll continue to investigate Christ. As you can probably guess, my current religious status is once again pagan because I realized there was a third choice I forgot. All hail Diana! (laughs) Well... Whatever the outcome, whatever people's winding road of faith and belief and doubt and investigation and questioning and thought leads, if to whatever extent we're a little part of that journey, we're glad. Yeah, it's an honor to walk alongside you guys. Mm-hmm. 
And as we say every episode, we can't thank you guys enough for all of the feedback that you send in. As you can tell, we love to hear from you. So if you want to talk to us about Spirit Blade or anything else, feel free to drop us a line. May the Force be with you. And also with you. While you're waiting for the next podcast episode, check out our websites. DarknessToLight.blogspot.com contains reviews, essays, and other similar ramblings. And DarknessToLight.tumblr.com, which contains some of that material, as well as top tens, cool photographs, memes, and religious puns. We also run a general interest comic book podcast network, Relatively Geeky. That content can be found at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or by searching iTunes for Relatively Geeky. Let us know what you think of this topic, this episode, or this podcast in general. Feel free to send your thoughts to us at dorknesstolight at gmail.com. We would also appreciate any ratings or reviews left for the podcast in the iTunes store to help like-minded people find us. Special thanks to Peter Franson for joining us and for permitting us to play clips and songs from the Spirit Blade trilogy. Our intro, outro, and promo music is by Anderson Kale. Check them out at andersonkale.com or search iTunes to purchase their music. Thanks for listening. <laughs>